Welcome to The Playlist Podcast, the weekly discussion of films and TV. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist, and this time I have a special edition of the show for you folks. For this episode, myself and one of my co-hosts, Mike D'Angelo, were able to talk with Marmeen Barani, the director of the new film, The White Tiger. The White Tiger arrives on Netflix on January 22nd and is based on the acclaimed novel of the same name. The story follows the life of Balram, a young servant for a wealthy family that quickly becomes disillusioned with his station in life and begins to figure out how to rise above and become his own master. And in our discussion with Barani, we talk about how the film was taken on a new meaning due to the pandemic, showing just how badly some people have it in the world while others gain wealth at unheard of rates. We also talk about a rather famous project that he teased several years back about the Silicon Valley that never got made, as well as why he's had to turn down major studios offers for potential franchise films that may or may not involve superheroes. So stick around for the full chat as me and Mike talk with Ramin Barani about the White Tiger and much, much more. And as always, the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Discourse, Be Real, The Fourth Wall, and more. If you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else you find favorite shows. So without further ado, here's our discussion with Ramin Barani. Enjoy. How are you doing, Ramin? Hi, how are you? Good. I just wanted to start by telling you that we love the movie first off. And I wanted to kind of ask a general question first. You're used to having your films premiering with big fanfare, whether that's at Cannes or Venice or you know whatever film festival. This film obviously is being released a little differently, not just on Netflix, but also in a time where those festivals kind of are, are not really a thing. So I was curious how you're feeling about releasing this movie now, what's different, kind of your general thoughts about that. Yeah. Um... I, I've made six films, four premiered in Venice and two in Cannes, and then, you know, later in Telluride sometimes or Toronto, always under Cameron Bailey's um, leadership. Yeah, it was pretty heartbreaking um, to not have that opportunity to to take the film there. I say that, you know, with the caveat of that's nothing compared to what the whole world is going through. So it's somehow irrelevant in a way compared to people's struggle right now. But of course, you know, you work on a film and more than anything, you like to be there with an audience in a huge cinema and your actors. And in this case, my actors had never been to Venice, which is what we were targeting. Um, my producing partner, McCool, had never been there. So, you know, you, would, you were making a film thinking, if we're lucky, if the film is good and they like it, maybe we will be there together. And instead, you know, you're sitting at home alone with, you know, your partner or your parents or something like that, experiencing it in a different way without people, which is strange and sad. The flip side is, um, you know, Netflix is, they have a theatrical release. It is starting, I think, tomorrow, maybe. Um, I don't know what it means in the age of COVID, but they're pretty aggressive on it. Um, Normally, without COVID, there would have been a theatrical release for, for a month or so, which would have been awesome. And then you get this great benefit of um, 195 countries, subtitled already in 35 languages all on one day which is a kind of reach that 99 homes chop shop goodbye solo man push card never had um you know so that's kind of awesome and hard to grasp in a way yeah and and you're friends with the author of the white tiger novel correct yeah arvind so, and i have been friends for over 25 years um yeah so was there you know did 
you have a, a vision of what it might look like if you were, were you like able to see early drafts were you assumed to be like the person who would maybe take on the filming portion of it or or was this something you kind of had to pull for or or sell him on or or what what was the situation you know Arvin and I went to college together in New York at Columbia we were part of a gang of Iranians Indians Lebanese Syrians that found one another and um, became friends and We've been talking about books and movies and our projects for 25 years on a weekly basis. Um, and I started reading The White Tiger about four years before it was published. And wow. yeah, I was immediately just riveted by it. It was so brilliantly written, especially the main character, Balram. He was so electric, so funny, so sarcastic and subversive and satirical and so complex that his journey, his arc was so kind of awesome and complicated that I always wanted to make it into a film. I've been waiting 15 years to make it. Um, it just took some time to get to the right place at the right time to do it. Sure. And that arc is definitely in place for the, the film, I can say as a viewer. It's, it's all of those things in one. Have you read uh, the novel? I have not. I have not. So this was brand new to me. Oh, okay. You could read it. It, it. You should, I hope, one day read it. You, you will read it in, in a day and a half, two days. It's such a fast, quick read. It's, it's, yeah. It jumps out of the, your hands when you read it. Yeah. My Funny aside there, my, my mother-in-law, actually, I was talking about doing this interview and she's like, oh my God, is that based on the novel? And I was <laughs> like, yeah, it is. She's like, I can't wait to see that. That novel is great. And I was like, okay, great. well, you got her sale of approval. Nice. <laughs> so we've, we've seen, you know, many films, that serve as kind of commentaries on wealth inequality and, you know, classism before, but, you know, this is arriving at a very opportune time in the world's history where a global pandemic, you know, kills more poor than rich uh, during a time where people are concerned about, you know, just paying the rent. And it, while rich people grow their wealth by, you know, billion chunks at a time. So yes, this is an Indian story, but, you can kind of, you can't help but think of it in current events and and when watching. So, has this film taken on at all a new meaning for you since you finished the work? You know, in the current state of things as they are. Yeah, I think so. Um, those are subjects and themes that have been in all my films, almost almost all of them, from Man Push Card until now. And it was maybe in April that I had a first cut screening with um, Netflix. Uh, we had to do it remotely by Zoom, like we're talking now because the <laughs> pandemic had started. And um, I was talking with Scott Stuber, the head of the studio at Netflix, and he really responded you know, very positively to the first cut of the film and said, um, we knew this was a global film when we greenlit it to get made. We felt it had potential to be global. He said, but I remember he said now with this, I didn't understand actually until he said it, that with this pandemic, my God, the film seems more relevant, sadly, than it had been even before we set out to make it. And that was the first time it hit me what he was saying, what Scott Stuber was saying, that, that he was right, that the film was now frighteningly more relevant than it had ever been before. Now, this also shares, uh, The White Tiger shares some thematic DNA with films like Slumdog Millionaire. Um, and you in, and in the, the movie, there's even a kind of an aside by one of the characters mentioning winning a million rupees wouldn't get you out of this life. Obviously, Slumdog Millionaire has those quote unquote Hollywood-esque moments of fantasy in it. And this is a very much a, a realism story. Do you think this is a much more honest representation of life in India for the impoverished people? And 
as much as we love Danny Boyle, uh, do you think it's important that the people who tell these stories are not all white men? Um, I can't say if it's more honest or not. I, I'm not in a position to say that. This was just how Arvin's how Arvin saw the novel and how I interpreted the novel and how I saw in a very brief moment, my two months of research in India, which is nothing, you know, it's such a vast country. So I cannot claim to be an authority on that country, um, but it seems pretty real to what I saw there. It matched my understandings of life in the films I had made in America. It matched what I had seen living in Iran for three years including in villages like where Balram comes from. My dad comes from a village just like that. I lived there in Iran for, for many months. I was there for three years. Um, so I think there is a lot of authenticity in the film. Um, Danny Boyle is an amazing director. I, I never forget when I saw, as a film student, Shallow Grave. Right. And was just like, holy shit, this guy <laughs> is incredible. And um, I think Slumdog Millionaire, the, the filmmaking is incredible. His connection and his collaboration with Anthony Don Mantle, the cinematographer, was at that time was just kind of revolutionary what they did with the camera. And the novel it's based on is quite inventive, how it comes and goes from this kind of um, game show to reveal the past. And yes, it has fantastical elements that don't maybe match my worldview. Uh, I don't believe there is a game show that is going to win. You're going to win and you're going to be saved from poverty. I don't think that really happens. Um, that doesn't mean I think it's not a good film. I think it is a, an excellently made film by a great director who, by the way, you say a white director, yes, but which other white directors put Himesh Patel in yesterday? Oh, I didn't yeah. respect him for that. What a great actor and what an awesome move by Danny Boyle. Uh, who else did that? You know, that, that's cool. And I, I think it's okay for Danny Boyle to make a movie in India. It, it's fine. I, why not? Um, I like it when Bernard Herzog goes to strange places and makes a movie. You know, um, India is such a thriving film industry. Um, it has so many regional cinemas. Why not let Danny Boyle come and, and make a, his own vision of something? I, I, I think it was made with an honesty of how he saw things um, and all the power to him. He's an awesome director. Yeah, you touched on a little bit on the themes throughout your movies, throughout your film catalog. They've been kind of, I mean, some people might say that they'd, they'd be fairly damning as far as when it comes to capitalism and how those at the top treat those at the, you know, the bottom and consequences of that treatment. Would you say that, you know, the film would be accurately read as an anti-capitalist kind of view? Or would you say that humanity is kind of doomed to repeat these actions no matter the, you know, the economic or, or social structure that's assigned? Or, or are you just kind of interested in that theme of like haves and have nots, that kind of thing? Well, um, a big question, you know. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it is a big one. You know, I, I don't think it uh, doesn't take much nothing new for me to tell you that globalism didn't really work. Um, yeah. it, made, it made a handful of people very rich at the expense of a lot of other people and that neoliberal concepts of um, um, democracy and liberty that people thought were going to spread around the world and, and bring humanity to places of joy and, and lack of conflict, that clearly didn't work out either. Um, so the system, certainly something is not working in it. Um, I, I'm not an economist or a businessman. I, I don't know what the answers are, but when I look around, it doesn't seem like 
things are working out for most people. Um, Jeff Bezos is a, a clearly a, a genius creator of, a, of businesses, you know, with Amazon, but it doesn't seem to take a much intelligence to know that the amount of money he makes doesn't seem to be correct. Um, it doesn't seem to make sense that that's not a way for a world to live. So, you know, I think it's a, it's a very specific film set in India, but I feel it's universal. I feel we can appreciate and understand it here in America now, now more than ever. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and we'll, we'll switch gears a little bit here and get off of the, the philosophical questions for a second. <laughs> uh, I, I want to go back a few years to a project that was hinted at that never seemed to come to fruition, which was just called the Silicon Valley project. My torture that I didn't get done the right way. And I, I get an email from Arvind usually once a month saying you fucked that one up. <laughs> well, just to give some background it's here, this is a, a reminder. Yeah. yeah, this is a movie that was talked about, I guess, about five years ago now. That you had said that maybe after Ex Machina, uh, oh my gosh, you're dropping your head. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after Ex Machina was maybe not the right time to to go about it, and and from all accounts, it seemed like whatever it was was a pretty great idea. At, at least, you know, how you described it. So yes. Uh, can you tell us what, what happened with that? Or, or is that something you're still looking at? Or, or yeah, did the time I, come I, and go? No, I lost the tail of it. You know, ideas and projects are like a, a, a snake that you're trying to hold on to that it keeps slipping out of your hand. And if you're not careful, it, it's gone. And um, I was in Silicon Valley at that time, spending the, the thing that I lost track of was I was spending a lot of time in homeless camps in and around the valley. Um, I was in the jungle, which was the largest homeless camp in America where nomadic people came and went from living in tents and trailers. This was back in 2014, 2014, um, and a little bit into 15. And um, this place was 20 minutes drive from the wealthiest zip code in the country, which is Atherton outside of Palo Alto. And as I started to talk to people in the tech industry from, let's say, actually the CEO of DoorDash, which was two people in a room when I saw them back then, um, to even bigger, um, none of them had ever heard of the jungle or knew it existed or knew there was anything like that going on. And that was astounding to me. And I was trying to figure out a way to, to connect these things. The people who lived in trailers and tents and were drifting between the valley and San Francisco and LA and moving around without jobs and living like that with what was going on in terms of the wealth of the valley. And I somehow just lost the, the snake slipped out of my hand. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, it sounds great. <laughs> I think you were quoted as saying that uh, it's something that never been done before. And I mean, when you hear a director say something like that, you got to ask about it. So thanks for uh, humoring us. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I'll um, get an email if Arvin listens to this, reminding me I fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he'll help you find the snake. So this is the time of the interview as we as we come to a close here, uh, where we do our due diligence and ask you when Marvel Studios is announcing your next project. <laughs> so kidding aside, we'd love to know what's if I next. Did, if I did tell you which big studio, very, very similar to that, offered me something and I said, no, you maybe be surprised or maybe you wouldn't oh, be. Wow. 
Well, no, no. I mean, honestly, it's funny because for the podcast, we we interview a lot of uh, of auteur type directors and indie directors, and you know, interesting filmmakers. And and we just noticed that so many times Marvel just snatches you guys up. So that's someone uh, else. Someone else tried to do that. Very similar to that, and, and they were really cool people. And the project seemed interesting, but it just didn't it didn't match my my vision or my mission. I think, you know. Well, that's, I mean, that's awesome that you were able to stay true like that. But uh, yeah, again, comic book films, Charles. Uh, I I mean, I've, I've got a Spider-Man tattoo. <laughs> we I dabble I've, for sure. Yeah, yeah, we, we do. <laughs> uh, and, and, and yeah, you know, but I, I obviously love oh, writing for the playlist. I thought. Was that I'm Watchmen? sorry? I thought that was Watchmen on you. Oh yeah. I've got the Watchmen and, and Spider-Man. Oh, I didn't see Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's there too. Um, but yeah, so. be interesting. Yes, it would. Uh, yeah. But what do you got? What do you got going next? Uh, have you uh, decided what's next? Are you working on a few things? I know you well, also dabble in TV from time to time. Yeah, there may be something. Someone called me about a TV project, a pilot. I might, I might look into that. Um, but my own, my own work that I'm writing. Yeah, I'm writing. Um, I'm writing something now. I can't say what it is. I'm writing two things. One is, um, one is a feature that I'm doing with Netflix. We'll announce soon. That I'm really excited about. It's an adaptation of something I, I've been reading for five years and have always wanted to do. And um, I have a TV project I've been working on for two years that I'm very excited about. Um, that's kind of a mix between my my interests and my work, but with a bit a bit of some genre stuff that is unlike me, that I'm trying to marry them into a project that, that we're hoping to, to, if we can get lucky, we'll pull it off maybe later this year, we'll see. Who knows? That's some, yeah, that sounds great. If I can find the snake outside, I'm, I'm, I live near. Um, I live near the Prospect Park, so maybe I need to wander into the into the trees there and try to see that. Find find that. I, I that snake is coming back in a different way. I think I've been noodling on something. Let's see if I can figure it out. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Well, I I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Roger Ebert back in 2009 happened to call you the the new great American director. Uh, and I mean, that's that's a pretty incredible thing to have written about you after only a few films, at the beginning of your career. So I guess my big question for it is how big is the printout of that column? You know, in your house, do you have a giant canvas? Did you put a billboard outside your house? Is there is there big things, neon lights pointing at it? I, no. Um, <laughs> Far yeah, from it. I've gotten some awards here and there, but they're in a box downstairs in the basement. But <laughs> The one thing I'm looking at now on the bookshelf is um, a letter Raja wrote to me um, and a puzzle he gave me. I need to give to a new director one day. But I think about Roger a lot. I think about Roger, especially in between films. Um, we would communicate a lot in between movies because of me. I, I would badger him because I was always wondering what I should do. And I was thinking of ideas and I, was, I t- typically watch and read a lot in between. I would be watching movies and asking him if he had seen them, or sometimes you would, you know, put on Citizen Kane for the hundredth time, and he'd be talking on the commentary, <laughs> and then you would ask him questions, and or he would he would send me books in the mail sometimes when we were talking. He, he was a like me, I think he was an avid reader even more than me. He was an avid reader and and was sometimes generous and would send me books in the mail, and I miss him a lot. Um, his humor and his insights and his generosity and his ability to talk so deeply about movies um, and love them so much and to 
express them in ways that anyone anywhere in the world could understand what he was saying and feel his emotion. And, um, you know, I miss him a lot. Well, yeah, as do we all. Yeah, I wanted to thank you, Ramin. Uh, this is the end of our interview. And yeah, please, everybody go watch The White Tiger on Netflix. It comes out January 22nd. Thanks for joining us. Thank you Thanks, so Ramin. much. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thank you.